two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Welcome to this episode of The Flip Side. My name is Jeff Melly. I'm the Global Head of Research at Barclays, and I'm joined today by Brad Rogoff, our Global Head of Credit Research. Thanks for joining me, Brad. Thanks for having me, Jeff, on this, the first virtual edition of The Flip Side. Yeah, that's right. We are recording this virtually since both of us are working from home due to COVID-19. And this is going to be the latest in a series of Flipside episodes we're planning dedicated to the economic and market implications of the virus. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the credit markets. I'm pretty worried about the credit markets. There have been some recent strains, and I think there's a risk that we see a repeat of the great financial crisis, or the GFC, where stress in credit was amplified through the rest of financial markets, and eventually it caused problems in the real economy. So I'm specifically worried about two things, stress in very short dated, usually safe parts of the credit market known as the front end. And second, I'm worried about the potential consequences of a wave of downgrades of credit that was previously rated investment grade, getting downgraded into high yield or junk status. That's what we call fallen angels. So I think these two issues will be the focus of our discussion today. Well, Jeff, these are certainly things that we've been concerned about and spending a lot of time on, but I think I'm way less worried than you. I'm just not sure that the financial crisis is the right analogy here. And as a result, I think you're probably overstating the risk for both the front end and for fallen angels. The U.S. Federal Reserve has taken important steps to stabilize credit markets already, and that's much quicker than during the financial crisis. And there are important provisions in the recently passed CARES Act, um, that's a stimulus package that was signed into law in the U.S. recently, that should keep further strains in credit from developing. And that stimulus is about 10% of GDP, which is also much bigger than in 2008. All right. So before we jump in, let's talk about why the credit market is so important to the economy as a whole. So it's an important market for corporations to finance their operations. So they issue debt, uh, then they have to make periodic interest payments. And eventually at maturity, they have to pay back the principal. Now, the important feature here is that corporations must make good on these payments. If they don't, they go into bankruptcy. And so that makes the credit market different from, say, for example, cutting a dividend on a stock, which doesn't really have operational implications for a company. Now, in the GFC, we found that stress in the credit market can become self-reinforcing. So if investors lose faith that the market's going to function smoothly, it, it becomes basically its own source of risk for companies and it can add fuel to the fire, so to speak. Sure. While the financial crisis taught us some lessons, we also learned just how bad stress in credit markets has to be before it really has some of those other repercussions. So far, we just haven't seen anything approaching that, in my opinion. The stress in the front end caused some underperformance of investment grade specifically, and, and really did cause some underperformance relative to what you would expect considering the down trade in equities. But, but away from that, even the high yield bond market, which is obviously much riskier, has fallen about as much as we would expect given the decline in equity prices. And, and that's really different from the financial crisis where you saw all of credit underperforming. And, and keep in mind that the financial crisis really started in the credit markets. But in the current volatility, I think the credit markets are implicated just like any other asset class. And, and that's a big reason why I don't think the analogy fully holds. All right. Well, one similarity between the current period and the financial crisis is that we've seen some stress in the front end of the investment grade market, which is the first thing I want to talk about today. So the front end refers to bonds and other forms of debt like commercial paper that are maturing really soon. So it could be 
days and weeks up to say a couple of years. Um, and there's a few things to note about this market. So the first thing to note is that under normal times, this market is incredibly safe. So companies are really unlikely to fall apart all at once. And investors have a pretty good lens into how a company is gonna perform over a short period of time. So that's the first thing, this is a pretty safe market normally. The second thing to note is that these bonds, because it's so safe, usually don't pay that much interest. So Jeff, although these bonds are usually pretty safe, I can't stress enough how important it is that the front end functions for companies in the credit market. They typically need access to the market as these bonds mature. And in normal times, a highly rated company doesn't typically plan to repay short dated debt with cash flows as long as they're sort of within the leverage target that they want to be. Yeah, but these aren't normal times, Brad. So COVID-19 has presented some unprecedented short-term challenges for some of these companies. There are companies that we thought were perfectly viable over very long periods of time that might have very serious problems when, con when confronted with a major disruption in their cash flows. So we've seen some big pressure on the front end because of that. Think about travel companies or uh, leisure companies where business has virtually ceased. But we also saw that pressure spread, not just from where you would naturally assume companies might have operational challenges, but we started to think investors got worried about like what other investors were worrying about. It's like a game of musical chairs where you don't wanna be the last person to lend to a company. You start to think that maybe companies won't be able to access these markets in the future. You start to withdraw your ability to finance those companies. That leads to very severe price action, even in companies that we think had plenty of capacity to absorb a short-term disruption in, in, in cash flows, the sort that we're expecting from the crisis presented by COVID-19. And that raises the prospect of sort of a cascade of business failures or collapsing in, in the ability to finance. Well, certainly we did see severe price action in the front end. I, I can't debate that obviously, but, but it had nothing to do with company fundamentals in my opinion. So you gave some examples of some industries where we would expect these bonds to trade a lot lower and, and they did in those industries. But at the same time, if you think about some of the big tech bellwethers that you would have thought were a bit more resilient in this kind of market, they were trading off just as much as the industries that you mentioned. And kind of your musical chairs analogy, I like that one. And let's play that through a little bit here. So what I think was happening in terms of that game is you had mutual funds that hold investment grade bonds and they experienced record outflows. Investors raised cash because there was a crisis developing. When you get record outflows, especially to short dated mutual funds, technical selling can take over. There's your game of musical chairs, right? We do think um, that the technical selling was, was really what was driving this though, and not true investor fears that these companies shouldn't be able to refinance bonds. We think there's a big difference, even if it means prices fall the same for some period of time, because once those outflows abate, and we're starting to see that now, risk should become priced more normally. Fed didn't want to take a chance on that, though, and they attacked the short-term part of the market by putting in facilities that would help. The first thing they did was they revived the CPFF, which is the Commercial Paper Funding Facility, and that was something they brought back from a program that they put in place in 2008 to buy non-financial commercial paper in the front end. Okay, now the CPFF, I guess it's convenient to restart it because it's it's literally the exact same program that was used during the financial crisis, but access to that program is restricted only to the very highest rated companies. So I'm not sure that's really sufficient to alleviate all the pressures that we've seen. I think I have to agree with you on this one and, and really the market seemed to as well. 
Well, the CPFF, it definitely stopped the bleeding in the, in the front end. It, it, it didn't really cause the market rally. What, what started the market rally was the introduction of primary and secondary purchase facilities from the Fed. That really turned things around. So what, what I'm talking about there is what's become known as the PMCCF and the SMCCF and the always alphabet soup that comes along with these programs. And that's the primary market corporate credit facility and the secondary market corporate credit facility. And what these facilities are doing is they're there to buy bonds in the secondary market or in the primary market that are five year and in from corporations and specifically from investment grade corporations. And technically it's not even the Fed that takes the risk here. They did this before the recent bill was passed by Congress, and they took capital provided by Treasury that was left over from a crisis era program, and the Fed actually leverages that to buy bonds. So Treasury's on the hook for first losses here. Given low risk in the IG front end, they're actually able to lever this 10 to 1, and that gives pretty significant buying power to unstick the front end of the investment grade market. All right, Brad, well, I'm going to grant you that this does represent a bit of a regime shift here. So the U.S. Federal Reserve uh, is actually going to be purchasing corporate bonds. That's something that never happened, even in the worst of the financial crisis. So that is a step towards ungluing some of these markets. However, what you didn't mention was the size of the program. So the capital provided by Treasury is only $10 billion for each of these programs. That means even levered 10 times, which is what we think they'll lever it, that's $100 billion of purchasing uh, in both the primary and the secondary markets. $100 billion might sound like a lot, but keep in mind that the U.S. investment grade debt market is over $8 trillion in size. So, you know, $100 billion, certainly a tiny little step in the right direction, but in terms of actually addressing these problems, I think it's a bit too small of a program. All right, well, I didn't leave that out because I was trying to pull a fast one on you. This is only the initial commitment and really to start backstopping the market that the Fed could do because of the the uh, the amount that was left over from those crisis era programs. And, and while 100 billion as an initial size, once again, relative to your 8 trillion number isn't huge, it actually will help with a couple months of issuance, for example, in the front end of the investment grade market. Now, what's happened since then is that with the CARES Act passed by Congress, this should provide the capital to increase these facilities if and when needed. And I think what the Federal Reserve is going to try and do here is very similar to what we've seen in Europe in the past with the whatever it takes stance and really come in and expand this program if needed in the near future. All right. So if you think the Fed is going to help uh, ease the pressures in the front end, then let's pivot to my second big concern, where I think the Federal Reserve is much less likely to come to the rescue. And that's fallen angels and will they overwhelm the high yield market so keep in mind fallen angels uh, means companies that were previously rated investment grade so very safe that run into some kind of an operational problem for example uh, because of cash flow issues posed by covid 19 and they get downgraded into high yield or junk status now this presents a problem because the high yield market was shut to new issuance for several weeks uh, you know if you saw a major wave of downgrades of, of, of previously safe companies, that could make it difficult to impossible for the existing high-yield universe to refinance the debt that they have maturing. Well, the high-yield market certainly gets a lot less sympathy, but the high-yield market tends to have less front-end maturities. 
And that's because it knows it's going to get a lot less sympathy. And there are points in time that the high yield market could be closed uh, for refinancing. So companies tend to refinance bonds well before they come due. And as a result, it can survive a period of limited new issuance without major consequences long term. We actually saw this as recently as December 2018. You kind of need the market to be closed for three, six months before solvency concerns really set in for these high yield companies just from refinancing debt. All right. But clearly, if there's no new issuance coming, that means there's a lack of appetite for new risk from investors. Um, now, that lack of appetite is sort of immaterial because there is new risk coming. It's just not coming in the form of new bonds. It's coming in the form of downgrades from investment grade. So we've had a massive amount of triple B issuance over the past several years. Triple B is the lowest tier of investment grade. It's now about 50% of the investment grade market. We've already started to see some of those companies get downgraded to high yield. Keep in mind, the rating agencies got criticized during the last crisis for being too slow to act. They are definitely not making that mistake again. Um, and, and as a result, this wave of downgrades could actually keep the high yield market shut for long enough to hit some of these triggers that you're talking about. Yeah, it's certainly coming fast and furious from the rating agencies right now. Look, 18 months ago, when many were worrying about the big triple B bubble, we believed it was overblown. And in fact, in 2019, we saw the largest net rising star year ever, meaning companies getting upgraded to investment grade from high yield. Now we're gonna be faced with the opposite pretty clearly. And we're estimating about 175 to 200 billion of downgrades in the form of fallen angels from investment grade to high yield. The estimates heavily skewed sector-wise, really to consumer cyclicals, autos are included in that, uh, and energy companies with over 90 billion already this month being downgraded with those sectors leading the way. And so while this would represent a record year in terms of fallen angels, we still do not think it will be as bad as some fear because of the non-cyclical nature of a lot of the triple B issuance that you were referencing over the years. And in fact, healthcare, pharma, consumer products companies that tend to be more stable are, are the biggest part of the triple B to triple B minus investment grade market. Well, Brad, 175 to 200 billion of downgrades would still represent about 15% of the high yield market. That's a pretty substantial increase in the amount of high yield debt for a market that hasn't grown at all in the past four years. And I would point out that high yield companies actually employ a substantial number of people. So the solvency questions around that market actually matter a lot or it quickly turns into an unemployment question. At most, I really do see this pressuring valuations and I don't see the fallen angel phenomenon causing solvency problems. So downgrades may put pressure on high yield prices, although I note that over the years, investment grade investors have been much better about having buckets to hold on to these bonds after downgrade as historically the low point in prices for fallen angels that survive is actually at the time of downgrade from investment grade too high yield, which makes them good investments to hold on to. Also, the average dollar price is around 70 for these fallen angels, and that means less of a capital outlay, and it also means the price is below the rest of the high yield market. But valuations by themselves are not a systemic problem. Solvency and mass layoffs, defaults, would be something that certainly worries me and should, should worry everyone. And here I think the fiscal bill that was just passed, the CARES Act, takes major steps to avoid a wave of defaults coming from high yield companies caused just by that primary market being shut. And absent this bill, everything you've said would make me a bit more worried as, as well. But the bill includes a provision specifically for mid-sized companies of 500 to 10,000 employees that they can essentially get 2% loans. 
it's way below market rates for those companies. And it's even below what an IG issuer would expect in the market. Half the high yield market should qualify. And this should both help companies weather an investor strike in high yield and maybe even keep that from happening in the first place since investors will know that companies are able to get access to this financing. Well, Brad, those 2% loans that you're talking about come with some major strings attached. So for example, companies that get those loans have to commit to keeping their employment at 90% of their pre-virus levels. Second, they have to agree to forego buybacks and dividends um, while the loan is outstanding plus an additional 12 months. And third, they have a bunch of provisions around collective bargaining, executive compensation that companies might find constraining. So I'm not so sure that companies are actually going to be willing to accept those terms and tap into those loans. Some of those are probably a bit less imposing than they seem, Jeff. So who would really buy back stocks with a government loan on the books? And buybacks, dividends, they're just not as important to high yield companies. Certainly it's something they'll do when they have plenty of cash flow. Um, but in a period of an economic downturn, that's probably not what a high yield company is doing anyways. And, and some private equity backed companies, yeah, they may think twice, but the restrictions are lifted, as you say, you know, a year after repayment. And so I think what happens here is we don't see companies line up for this immediately, but they'll be thankful to have it if their backs are up against the door in a few months. Okay, so I, have, I think maybe a more major critique of relying on this program, which is that although these 2% loans may require an interest level that's below the market rate, it's still debt on the balance sheet of companies that have almost surely had their equity value take a huge hit due to the economic disruption we're going through. So that adding debt to those balance sheets may be unmanageable at any interest rate. Um, and that means that you would still get defaults. So whether they access those loans or not, these companies that are challenged would go, could go out of business. And what about companies that have more than 10,000 employees? So these loans only apply up to 10,000 employees. But, but for example, all those fallen angels we were talking about earlier, many of those are huge companies that have way more than 10,000 employees. They're going to be out of scope for all of these federal programs. Well, I think your major critique is probably your best critique here. There's definitely a risk that the CARES Act only delays defaults as opposed to actually preventing them. And, you know, if so, hopefully they come at a time when the economy can absorb them better. I mean, that's still somewhat of a success in that it would have stopped credit stresses from accentuating other economic stresses. Where I really don't have a great response is the fallen angel retailer or the high yield movie theater company that employs well more than 10,000 people. And there are provisions that should allow them to get loans in this bill, but those are likely to be secured if they have capacity to do that and have much less favorable rates than the 2% that we're alluding to. They probably can't afford the extra debt, once again, like you just said, and really need the type of loan forgiveness or grants to pay employees that the airline industry, for example, has received. Perhaps this will be what comes in phase four of a stimulus bill, though. All right. Well, if that happens, we'll have to discuss that again on a future episode. Um, so for a deeper analysis, clients can read our latest global outlook entitled Batten Down the Hatches, where we discuss the economic implications of COVID-19, plus a new report from our credit research group called Congress Cares About Corporates Too, discussing the impact of the CARES Act on the corporate market. Of course, you can all, always follow any of our virus-related research on hashtag virus available on Barclays Live. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the flip side. For more insights about this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com IB. 